It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 806 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I am Walter Reeves, and I am the Georgia gardener. I have been gardening most of my life, some years under duress until I was 18, when I left the farm for good and thought I would never garden again. Then after four years, when I went to work for the University of Georgia Extension Service, I became the guy who knew about gardening because I'd grown up on a farm. I knew how to sucker tomatoes and plant corn and weed beans and all the skills that some of my botanically trained colleagues did not know how to do because they had botany in their background. They had physiology of plants and pathology and things like that. They just didn't know how to garden. Well, I've gardened ever since, and now I'm the host of a lawn and garden show. 404-872-0750. A busy next seven days. Busy, busy, busy this afternoon or this morning, I guess, from 11 to 12. I'll be at Scottsdale Farms up in Alpharetta answering garden questions and showing off some of the new plants there. On Tuesday, 7 o'clock, down in Noonan at the fairgrounds, I'll be speaking to the Master Gardener Association. It's open to the public, by the way. And on Thursday at Gibbs Gardens in the morning, 11 o'clock to 12, I believe, I'll be talking about gardening and bringing new plants to them and talking about how to become a good gardener. Next Saturday, I'll be at the Johns Creek Pike Nursery, along with my friend Mickey Gazaway. We'll do a broadcast there. We'll have some Chick-fil-A biscuits for you to eat and some coffee to drink. You can come by and ask your garden questions directly from me or Mickey. All the details at WalterReeves.com. The button that says, Where's Walter? The number again, 404-872-0750. Sandy is in Atlanta. Joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Sandy, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure, my Sandy. Is, uh, last week you were talking about the orange stuff. That orange I don't remember stuff. was the fungus <laughs> that the orange trees. Yeah, and sure. I, I was wondering... Can that be spread by pruning or someone using a backhoe so that it's spread in the soil after touching some contaminated branches? No. Or by pruning branches, or is there a spray? And is there a spray that you can stop spots on certain trees? Some kind of mm, same answer for rust, which is a disease you're talking about on pine trees. The orange stuff is fusiform rust on pines. But the same answer applies. No, there's no spray. No, there's nothing that spreads it particularly. And the odd thing about that fungus, Sandy, is it goes from the, the, the orange spores you see coming out of a pine tree now will be blown by the wind over to oak trees. And the spore has to have an oak tree nearby to develop on the backside of the leaves, very small little black sort of dots on the backside of the oak leaves. They then mature, sporulate, and it goes over to the pine tree where there's a wound from a borer or somebody that's hit it with a backhoe or hit it with a stick or something like that to bruise the bark and open up the bark to uh, infection by the spores from the oak tree. So it's a two-year process to get fusiform rust from the pine to the oak and back again to the pines to make those oozy places with the orange goo coming out right now. Are there any negative consequences for someone who's hunting and so they have pruned all the limbs off all the pine trees up to about four or five feet? How much pine tree is left above that point? Five feet? or eight feet? Generally not. If you you can prune off about twenty to forty percent of a pine tree without hurting it too badly. 
It might be weakened the first year, but pines are pretty resilient to lower limb removal. I mean, they, they remove their own limbs naturally. They abort their own limbs as a, as a tree gets taller. So I can't think there's any particular bad thing happening by pruning those lower limbs off. As long as there's some tree left above that point, 50% of the tree above that point, I think it would be fine. Does the fuchsia form ever go away? No. <laughs> Does it get worse Three does in a row there for you, Sandy. Uh, Does it get worse and worse? The canker on the trunk, yeah, it'll get bigger and bigger, and finally, you know, a big wind or a tornado or something comes along, it'll snap off right there at that point on the trunk. Limbs will crack off where the fusiform rust spindle is, so it doesn't get bigger on limbs until the limb itself, I guess, gets bigger as the canker grows on the trunk, too. Thank you so very much. Uh, all right. Great talking to you, Sandy. No, no, no. Even though all those no's, still great talking to you. Thanks for calling. Ten minutes after the hour, Glenda Stern. Glenda's out in Marietta and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Glenda, good morning. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for taking my call as well. Sure. I have a pine tree that's very huge and very close to my home, and it has developed uh, some slashing cuts in the trunk. Well. And as they progress, this copper-colored ooze is coming out. Ah, and they're getting bigger and deeper, and I'm getting very concerned about. Obviously, it's facing the house, so if it breaks, it's going to fall right on the house. It's huge. It looks like an oak tree. It's so big. But have you smelled anything around those oozy places on the oak tree? I haven't. I have to say, I have prayed. I've put. I've just, you know, done everything I can do and asked God to heal yeah. it. But he's chosen not to. What can I do? Can it be healed, or do I have to take it down? Well, not necessarily. How big is the trunk? Is it really, oh, really huge. thick? Or? It's, if I hold my arms out as far as I can, yeah. I can't reach around it. I'll it's, tell you the disease, the oozy disease that is common on oaks, not so much this early in the year. Usually I don't now, see it until sometime. I've had it on another pine that I did take down because it was not in a good place anyway, right. and whatever and it was also down at the bottom but now it's on this one so is it jumping from pine to pine now this is yeah, a wait, pine wait, wait 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 you said another. pine or oak i need to know which tree you're talking about i know a pine it's a pine tree oh, the oozy orange stuff huge. coming out from a pine tree is what i talked to the lady previous to you the fusiform rust that's fusiform rust on pines. Oak trees, though, if an oak no, tree no, has it's orange stuff, oak. that's I a different it's disease. Big as an oak. Okay. Well, the pine tree is a fusiform rust, as I mentioned to the lady earlier, and there's nothing okay. you can do other than take the tree out if you're worried that the canker is going to weaken the trunk. So there's nothing I can do to heal it? Well, prayer is a powerful thing, I guess, Glenda, but I'm not sure that's going to affect that pine tree's fusiform rust. Mm. Mm. Oh, well, no, I meant other than prayer. Other than prayer, spraying, or taking it out. There's no spray. Taking it out is the only option you have. There's nothing, nothing. Zero, not a... Well, I wanted to make sure before I called someone because I didn't want to hear after it's down that I could have done this or that. If it is fusiform rust, there is nothing that can be done about it other than take it away, take the tree out, because the spores, the fungus is way too deep in the trunk for you to be able to spray anything to be effective anyway. So, yeah, if you want an arborist to come look at it, give you an opinion, you can get an ISA-certified arborist by going to georgiaarborist.org on the web 
um, and find it was 20 listed right at the top of the page there, ISA certified arborists, and they for a fee will come out and you know tell you what's going on with the tree. If they work for a company, they may be able to get you a discount on having the tree taken down, but it sounds like you have fusiform rust, orange stuff coming out of a pine tree. That, to me, fusiform rust in the spring. Andrew's turn. Andrew's out in Lithia Springs and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Andrew, good morning. Hi, good morning. Hey. Um, We've got some uh, elephant ears that are um, surrounded by monkey grass. I mean, they're out there like in the middle of the monkey grass, and yeah. every year they come up. Well, a few months ago, I was kind of digging through the monkey grass and trying to clear it out, and I know for a fact that I killed one of them. I chopped the bulb right in half. <laughs> accident. Right. So I've been watching to see, you know, where's the rest of them? Are they going to come up? And I've seen, you know, the the dogwoods and the azaleas and everything have come up, but I haven't seen any elephant ears. And I'm just mm-hmm. wondering what when they should come up. I mean, is it... Should you wait a few more weeks? Yeah, or? wait for a while. It's going to have to be warm, 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 Andrew. It'll be easily the middle of May before you really see much of any growth coming up. Elephant ears are tropical. You knew that already. And so they require really warm soil to stimulate the production of the sprouts that make the leaves that you notice. So I would say early to mid-May is when you first start seeing the leaves come out. Well, that's good news. Yeah. There's hope for them yet. Yeah, I think there's hope for you still. You're going to have some elephant ears, I believe. All right, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for calling, uh, Andrew. Fifteen minutes past the hour. Mary has a turn. Mary's in Johns Creek. I'll be there next Saturday and hope to see you there, Mary. What can I do for you today? Yeah, I, good morning. I had uh, some clipped mural trees cut down, and I had the uh, stumps ground up, uh-huh. and I planted back some oak leaf hollies in there. Good. And I know I can't use that mulch around the hollies. Why not? But could I use it in my bed and other places? Yeah, why Why could you not use cryptomeria chips or mulch around the holly bushes? Why not? I thought the mulch had to dry out before you used it around plants. No, if you don't put a huge thick layer, I don't want 12 inches of mulch around your new bushes, but as long as it's a couple of inches thick like normal people put out, you shouldn't have any problem with the cryptomeria chips at all, I don't think. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> that was a good day. good answer for you, Mary. That was a yes, yes, yes. You bet. Okay. Thanks for Bye. calling. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take her place. Let's see who we got here. Yvette. Yvette's at LJ, way up in North Georgia. Hey, Yvette. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a quick question. Um, I have Leland cypresses, and they are dying hand over fist yeah. and uh i'm needing to replace them because i'm wanting to move yeah and i want my house to still look aesthetically the same because we used them for a barrier for noise um do you have any suggestions when are you going to move i mean do you want something that's big right now and pay all the money for well, no i want no i don't want to pay a lot um there's some sort of um evergreen that my mom and i don't know the name of it that she had purchased and they grow rather fast the two that come to mind two that uh, are common to use for barriers besides leland cypress one is called arbor vitae a-r-b-o-r-v-i-t-a-e arbor vitae and the other one is cryptomeria the lady previously you said she had ground up a cryptomeria that she got rid of and so cryptomeria is the second one that's evergreen, used commonly, grows pretty fast, instead of um, Leland cypresses. So okay, either Arborvitae or Cryptomeria, either one would work. All right. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Yvette. 
It is uh-huh, seven. Bye-bye. No, excuse me, not seven seventeen. It is eight seventeen. We'll be back to more lawn and garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News ninety five five at AM seven fifty WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News ninety five five at AM seven fifty WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, the high around 61 degrees as the rain moves away, low of 36 tonight, although it could be colder in North Atlanta. So check your thermostat outside. Don't <laughs> don't plant tomatoes today. Tomorrow, the high 61 degrees, low of 45. Mix of sun and clouds during the day. Tomorrow, your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Rick is up in Gainesville. Hey, Rick, good morning. Rick, morning. Um, I have a mature hemlock tree near the house that's yeah. probably 40 feet tall, and over the past several years, it's been losing needles on all the lower limbs except for the tips. Ooh. Now, for most of the tree, except for the top 20%, it's pretty thin. Ow. So I'm concerned if it's mature enough in its old age and dying out or with it's diseased, or I need your advice. Do you know what adelgid is, Rick? Say what now, sir? Do you know what hemlock adelgid is? No, sir. It's an insect, and it looks uh, like mealybugs, sort of. Little tiny mealybugs, white things on the ends of the branches. Sometimes it almost looks like it's been snowing a little bit on the ends of the hemlock branches. It's an insect that has killed thousands, if not millions, of hemlocks up in North Georgia, and you were up in North Georgia in Gainesville. So go online to see a picture so you can see exactly what you're looking for. But if you had an infestation of hemlock adelgid, I would say at 20% left, you're not going to have much chance of keeping that hemlock alive. It'll, mm. it'll have to come down. Would that infect the other tree? I've got two of them. So that, you think if I take one of them out, that I'll preserve the other one? If you have more than 20% left on the other one, and if it has a delicate, again, I won't, I don't, I'm not saying you do, but I want you to be sure and know what you have before we take anything down. But look for the hemlock, A-D-E-L-G-E-D, A-D-E-L-G-I-D, excuse me, um, and see if you have that on the second tree as well. If it's not too much involved, there are insecticides that will control hemlock adelgid on a healthy tree that's just gotten infected in the last year or two. But if it's been infected for more than about five years, boy, it's, it's gone. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, that's not the right answer. Okay. <laughs> but at least you might you might know what's going on. A silver leaf, silver leaf cherry tree. What about them? Well, it's beautifully blooming, but it's awfully large and it's over camped. And I just wondered if I'd cut him, trimming it back a little bit. Generally speaking, you can prune back a cherry tree after flowering. 10, 20% of the foliage, I think, wouldn't wouldn't be missed by the tree too much. Okay. Yeah. Good enough, sir. Thank you for your help this morning. Good talking to you, Rick. Thanks for calling. It's 826 on a Saturday morning. Don't forget, you can go to WalterReeves.com, subscribe to our newsletter. I wanted to tell you some of the things that I have there on the uh, newsletter this past week, anyway, was about growing Easter lilies. If you've got an Easter lily for for Easter and you still have it in the house, maybe, and you're thinking about planting it outside, it's perfectly fine to plant Easter lilies outside. Normally, they bloom in May. They're just forced to bloom for the Easter ceremony. And so if you want to bring it outside, the best place to put it is in a spot that gets some shade, not full sun. They just peter out in full sun, but in some bright shade or place that gets four or five hours of sun in the morning and shade in the afternoon, that would be fine. 
But if you get your Easter lilies out and plant them, maybe not exactly today, it's too wet, too rainy, but as soon as the soil is workable in the next week or so, plant your Easter lilies outdoors. And then you'll have a lily that'll come back every year, every year around May the 15th is when it'll bloom. Also, in the last week's email newsletter, there was a question about, let's get it down here, see what the other one was, is about how to replace or what to replace a Cleveland pear with. Cleveland is akin to Bradford pear. This is one of those times when I said, under no circumstances am I recommending Bradford or Cleveland pears anymore. And I have my whole argument of why you don't want to have a Cleveland pear or a Bradford pear in your landscape anymore, mostly because they're invading places where they shouldn't be growing. They become an invasive plant because they pollinate each other. And then the last one, tatsoi. Do you know what tatsoi is? A little uh, green that you can get from the grocery store. It is uh, a guy had a hoop house, and it has little holes all in the leaves of his tatsoi. And he wanted to know what was shotgunning his tatsoi. He had flea beetles. And I was very, very sort of impressed that he had flea beetles this early in the season until he told me that he had the, the tatsoi growing his, in his greenhouse. And that explained everything. Back then when we went to Cuba several years ago, I noticed a guy down there who was spraying all the eggplant, which also has flea beetles on the eggplant. And the guy said, you know, what we do here is we soak our tobacco leaves in water and spray that tobacco water on the eggplants. It kills all the flea beetles great. I said, yeah, and you use rubber gloves and rubber boots and rubber protective clothing, don't you? He said, yeah, that tobacco water is poisonous. Have to be careful with that stuff. So flea beetles, Bradford pears, Cleveland pears, Easter lilies, all in the last issue of the email newsletter. Go to WalterReeves.com, upper right-hand corner, and get your own subscription. It's 828. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 8.36 on a Saturday morning, 54 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful and to point you towards a place that I went to visit on, what was this past week, Thursday or Wednesday, I guess it was. I went to the Toco Hill Pike Nursery. It was gorgeous. My friend Mickey Gasway from the West Cobb Pike Nursery joins me right now. Hey, Mickey, good morning. Good morning. You how would, are you? You would have to go a long way to match how pretty the Toco Hill Pike was, but I bet yours is pretty nice, too. I think all of them are pretty. They just all look so good this time of year yeah. and smell so good. Yeah, covered up going in there. Yeah, it was wonderful to go into, into the nursery. I wasn't actually looking to buy anything because I'm going out of town in a little while, and so I thought, well... I'll wait after I get back, but I was scouting. I was scouting my plants. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today... Everybody walks in has a smile on their face. Exactly right. Today, and today is a special day because they walk out. Usually, most people will walk out with a smile on their face because they get something free if they go to Pike and make a purchase today. Is that not right? That's exactly right. Any purchase, you get uh, a tomato plant, a one-gallon tomato. That's a, those are nice size. They're big tomatoes. size. Yeah, so those are huge. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's a really good thing. We've got several different kinds, and um, so everybody, you can choose the one you want. So you've got yellow, the yellow tomatoes, the cherry good. tomatoes, the what others? Oh, we've got uh, Better Boys. We've got, um, there's some determinant tomatoes in there. There's yeah. some, I think there's some celebrities in there. All kinds of tomatoes. So I don't think that I'll be planting them today. This might be a plant that you can put, keep in the pot for Another maybe week until the soil really warms oh, sure. up, put it in the garage, sure, sure, and then sure. uh, plant it outside after that. But today it's going to be a little chilly tonight. It's really chilly, it looks like. 
So we'll take these yeah, tomatoes home like and it. keep them outdoors. No sense in bringing them inside. They can be outside just fine in that gallon pot. But I oh, think it would be a little early to be planting them in the ground outside. I agree. How about I the agree. classes? We're going to have tomato classes today? We've got a class today, uh, a tomato class, absolutely, mm -hmm. which will be fun. And that's going to be at 9 o'clock at all the stores. Okay. And I'm sure they'll be talking about how to prevent blossom end rot and how to that's prevent right. early blight and late blight and all the things that will make your tomatoes not do what you want them to do. That's exactly right. We're going to be eating tomato sandwiches before we know it. <laughs> I can't wait. What tomatoes do you grow in your garden, Mickey? What have you grown before you like to lot? Well, I grow I grow Better Boy, and then I grow a, a cherry tomato, mm -hmm. a little, and then I grow a um, I grow one um, heirloom every year. But you know the heirlooms you need to change change. You don't need to plant them in the same place. And I I change. I've only got six raised beds. And on three of the raised beds, I do tomatoes and peppers and eggplant, yeah. and then I switch them over to the other three the next year. And that, but with my, so I can only switch them out every other year. And then I have a, a big whiskey barrel, and I do my heirloom in there, and I did it, do a different heirloom every year. I think I want to do brandy wine this year. That'll be fun. Good for you. The reason you switch things around, and what Mickey was talking about for our listeners who want to know why she swapped them out, is because eggplants, peppers, and tomatoes are all in the same family, and if you plant them in the same place year after year after year, diseases and insects and things can, can grow to be pretty populous in that spot. That's right. And so that's Mickey like moves the, them back and the forth. Heirlooms, the the farmers knew that they had to rotate their crops. And well, most people don't have, you know, 50 acres to plant on now. So that's why I do those. And I can change out the soil and then I can use that soil somewhere sure. else. Sure. Farmers might take their tomatoes in one part of their garden or their crop <clears throat> area one year and then put corn the next year, then beans the next right. year, then tomatoes back again to keep mm -hmm. from building up the diseases that they have. One of the things that I have learned, Mickey, over the last couple of years from some research done out in um, Ohio is that the cause of blossom end rot, the disease, you know, that you see this beautiful yeah. ripe tomato has a black spot on the bottom of it, it rots the whole thing through. The cause of it can't be fixed so much by putting calcium in the soil, nor by spraying easily, but it's mostly about maintaining the same same um, moisture levels in the soil. Moisture. It's that's all right. getting the calcium out to the fruit when the <laughs> blossom falls off, and that's done by moisture, uh, water, rainfall, dissolving the calcium that's in the soil. There's usually a lot of calcium in the soil anyway, and then bringing it up to the fruit. And if you have a dry okay. day and then a wet day and then a dry day and then a wet day on the tomato, it doesn't dissolve enough calcium to get to the fruit, and then that causes blossom end rot to develop. I'll probably say that at least 20 times. I, <laughs> I will, you know too. What we do at our house. We work up the soil, right. and then we put down three layers of newspapers. Right. And then we put, sometimes I put wheat straw, and sometimes I put mini nuggets, whatever I decide to put on top of that. And then I go in, and I make an X, and I plant my tomatoes in there. Boy, that's and smart. I never, ever, ever have blossoming rot, and that's why, I think. Because the mulch keeps the soil moist all the time. The, the, the newspaper and the mulch. And also, and then in the fall, the, the newspaper breaks back down, and yeah. I, we just fill it in and put our fall crops in. And by planting it through the mulch, through the newspaper and the chips or whatever, you also don't have any soil splashing up on the lower leaves of the that's tomato. Right. Which leads to, right. to early blight, another common yep. tomato disease. 
Lots of tips and there, Mickey. And I also plant mine really deep. And do you lay yours down? In I lay them down. Or do you plant them deep? I trench Everybody them. Everybody does that different. Yeah, I have a trench about oh, 10 inches long. I try to get some of the leggy tomatoes that y'all sell. And okay. so I get a leggy tomato about 18 inches high, and I lay it down in a trench about two, eight or so inches long and bend it up at the end. And maybe sometimes I put a little coat hanger there to hold it in place. And uh, by layering in that trench, the roots are pretty shallow. They warm up pretty quickly, and the plant grows real rapidly and comes right up out of the ground rather than digging a post hole down to China or somewhere. I don't do that. See, I just dig a hole because my beds are so deep anyway. Yeah. I can just dig it with my hand. I sure. dig down 12 inches, mm-hmm. and I just dig. And I always tell people when you look at your tomatoes, if we have a rainy season and they're real close together and you see the little white dots all over the the stems that they're trying to put out roots. Yeah, sure, That's they root they from the stem. Do. Yep. Well, yeah. let's let's reiterate the whole pike situation today. We've got classes today at nine o'clock, and they'll That's be on right. tomatoes, obviously. And then tomatoes mm-hmm. we given away one gallon of tomatoes given away with any purchase or a twenty-five dollar purchase. Speaking. Any purchase. Any purchase. All right. Any purchase. And any pike nursery will have these deals on the tomatoes classes and the tomato uh, giveaway will be going on at any pike nursery. So how would we find the pike nursery where you can find these uh, giveaways today, Mickey? At pikenursery.com. And where will you be next Saturday morning? I think I'm going to be with you. Next I think we'll be at John Street John Pike Nursery Street. having a great time with yeah. each other again. I look forward to that. We'll see you next Saturday, Mickey. Okay. See you then. Bye. It's 843 Bye. on a Saturday morning, which gives Earl his turn. Earl, join us on Lawn and Garden. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. Hey, Earl. Uh, hey, I want to uh, use sod to spread centipede in my front yard. And my yeah. question is, am I just as well off doing... Uh, long, thin strips of sod, or can I do just as well with little two-by-two two plugs? The plugs are better, and two-by-two two is a little small for me. I'd rather be three-inch by three-inch plugs. They'll do the root better, and they'll be healthier. You get more plant to the plug, and they'll spread out a lot quicker, I think, if you have a area all the way around the plant rather than strips where you just have two sides for it to spread out into. And... Uh, but put those plugs about 10, 10 to 12 inches maybe apart from each other. And if you fertilize right, you should have pretty good cover by September, I would think. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty quick. Yeah, but again, you, I'm assuming you would do a soil test. You know how much lime the soil needs, how much fertilizer it needs. Do it properly. Put the side plugs in, water them during the summer so they don't dry out. And yeah, they'll, they'll climb pretty quick. They'll cover the ground pretty quickly. Yeah, well, I... I am fortunate in that uh, I've done that soil test and all that stuff, and I've got a small start a couple of years ago, and it's gone like crazy two years. It's probably covered an 8 by 8 area with just two or three little sprigs. Good deal. Yeah, you know how fast it'll spread, so do that, replicate that with all these plugs, and you'll be fine. Very good. Thank you, Walter. I appreciate the help. Earl, thanks for calling. Appreciate talking to you. we got Louise on the line up in Brazos, Georgia. Hey, Louise, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How can I help? Well, I have two things. Uh, I, I would like to plant a justicia. I was transplanted here from Tallahassee, Florida. I was just going to say, where did you come from in Florida? Because justicia <laughs> is grown all over the place down there. Yes, and I wondered if it would grow here. Um, during the summer, it'll be great. During the wintertime, it will die. It will uh, freeze to death. It would be an annual here. Yeah, here's an annual. And frankly, I don't think you'll see it in many nurseries because it's a shrub. And nurseries would rather generally not, you know, grow something or sell something that's going to die over the wintertime. So shrubs that are tropical in nature like justicia, I don't think you're going to find very readily at nurseries anyway. Well, 
What if I put it in a protected area? You better pretend Brasselton, Louis. Ooh. <laughs> a greenhouse? Yeah, it'd go really good in a greenhouse, but I don't think outdoors it's going to have a chance in Brasselton. Okay, that's what I would need to know. The other question I had, I have a little garden that I put in the back of my house where mm -hmm. the farmer people had a swing set. Yeah. And so we've tilled it up. And uh, But last year I had an invasion of some kind of grass. So I was wondering if I, it's too late to do some kind of pre-emergence so I don't get that grass in my uh, little garden this year. You know, in a little garden like that, it's hardly worth it, Louise, to put a pre-emergent down. And there are not many pre-emergents that are even labeled for use on a garden. Treflan and trifluralin are the only, is the only chemical that I'm aware of, and I'm not sure it's easy to find. I personally think you're better off just to hand weed. Pull the weeds out by hand, get a bucket to sit on and pull the weeds out, and just be done with it that way. Don't worry about pre-emergence. Pull it out by hand. Okay, that's what I needed to know. All right. Thank you, Walter. Thanks for calling, Louise. It is 847. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. Stone tunes there. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security today. The rain will go away this afternoon. High of 61, low of 36, perhaps a little colder than that up in the North Georgia Mountains and North, Georgia, north of Atlanta. Tomorrow, highs in the mid 60s and lows overnight in the mid 40s. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Laura is in Calhoun, Georgia, and here she is on the air with us. Hey, Laura, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm great. How can I help? Okay, um, we, my husband and I have tried for several years to grow tomatoes and uh, to no avail. It's not been a good uh, success. So we were wondering about just doing them in a potted plant. Yeah, as sure. As a potted plant. Um, and do we need one that has a hole in the bottom? Do we need, or a drainer, or no? The key, I think, to growing tomatoes in a container is a big one. Don't grow anything, don't grow it in anything smaller than a five gallon bucket. And okay. preferably two feet across in both directions, two feet wide, two feet uh, deep, and maybe two feet, well, two feet long, two feet wide, two feet deep. That would be the best kind of container for a tomato. Even bigger if you can manage that. Three feet wouldn't okay. hurt anything. But small okay. containers is a real negative on tomatoes. They don't like to be in a small thing that gets heated up and dried out so quickly in the summertime. Right. Okay. Um, and then the next, what would the best kind of fertilizer to, would be? You know, I just use miracle Grow. It's easy to use, and I mix it up, and I put it on the tomatoes, and they seem to appreciate it. So I would just use miracle Grow and nothing particularly special for that. One thing to think about with your tomato choices of the varieties, looking to get the ones that either says patio tomato or determinate-type tomato. Determinate means it grows to a smaller size than the indeterminate size, which goes up six or eight feet, and it's way too big for a, for a container usually. So a patio or determinate tomato is what you're looking for. Okay, okay, and then for like the if I use the five gallon bucket, I don't put a hole in the bottom of it. You do put a hole in the bucket in the bottom, but I think five gallons is a little too small for a tomato. Okay, bigger than that's okay. what you need. Okay, all right, thank you so much. You bet, Laura. Thanks for calling. Uh -huh.
Bye-bye. We do have time for Pam in Houston, Georgia. She's really, really quick. Hey, Pam, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well, so I got two minutes, so let's go for it and use all of our seconds. What you got? Okay. Uh, my my uh, lawn manager at, at a rental house says that I have fusarium in my lawn, and he wants to charge me a small fortune mm. to fix it. Can, what can you tell me about this? I can tell you that most diseases are caused by environmental conditions and not by, well, they are fungi to a little bit. Usually it's from either overwatering or too much shade or over-fertilizing, perhaps. What grass do you have at the rental house, do you know? Actually, I have something called Marathon. Which is, I don't know what that is, a Bermuda or fescue or what is it? Uh, I don't know. It stays green all year long. Fescue. I, that may help you. <laughs> all right. It's fescue. You help me great. I know it's fescue. Probably though. a fescue. If it okay. is fescue, how often is it being fertilized? Uh yeah, they are mow and blow, so probably not often enough. That's actually the right answer. Um, okay. what, go to my website, Pam. Just type the word fescue in there, fescue uh, calendar maybe. It'll give you uh, some management tips on fescue lawns. It'll help you a lot. And I think by managing a lawn properly, you can avoid having to spray fungicide on it because I'm not sure the fungicide even would help. Many times it doesn't seem to do a good job to control fungi on lawns. It's been a great Saturday morning. I so much enjoyed meeting Paula Andreessen, who screened our calls in Ashley's absence this morning. She was working hard this week doing TV, radio, and everything in between. Of course, Jason Byers brings us our music, the best garden music in the world here on WSB. I will be at Scottsdale Farms this morning at 11 o'clock. Cuyahoga County, 7 o'clock on Tuesday. I'll be at Gibbs Gardens next Thursday at 11 o'clock. And then next Saturday, I'm so looking forward to being with Johns Creek Pike Nursery with Mickey Gazaway. And we'll see you at one of those places. If not, my website is there for you to use. And we'll see you next Saturday morning for another edition of Lawn and Garden.